Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Welcome to REI Roundtable, where we interview real investors that are active in the real estate market right now. This is the exact format that I wish I had over 22 years ago when I got started. And today I'm really excited because we have an overnight success that was 10 years in the making. <laughs> Tim Bratz here, and he is also the host of the Legacy Wealth Show on iTunes and a commercial real estate investor with, what, how many? 2,700 and? 3,200. Oh, 3,200 uh, units already. So welcome. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> I think just during the setup that you acquired more units. Maybe. <laughs> so go ahead and tell us a little bit how you got started. I know you were a guest on another show and anyone that missed it, you just bring up the speed here. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my background's in, in residential real estate. So I was going through um, college in the last real estate market boom, right? So 03 to 07, I'm going through college. Anybody who uh, was involved in real estate was making money at that time. And that's what motivated a 20 year old kid at the time. So I ended up, um, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio originally, yeah. you know, and moved out to New York City, which is where my brother was living at the time and got a job as a commercial real estate agent. And so I would broker leases for retail and office and, um, uh, you know, wanted to make money ended up brokering this lease for this one landlord in, in Greenwich Village area. Good area, about a 400 square foot space, smaller than the studio even. Um, and we signed a lease for this guy with a falafel shop for, for $10,000 a month for 400 square feet. 4% annual increases on the rent, and uh, it was a 12 year lease term. And so if you do the math on that, you multiply it all out and you're like, this landlord's gonna make almost $2 million over the next 10, 12 years for doing something at one point in time, not to mention the other seven stories of, uh, I'm sorry, the other seven retail spaces and like 10, 15 stories of apartments above it. So um, I realized pretty quickly I didn't be on the side of owning real estate instead of the side of brokering real estate. Um, but you know, I think I think I went through the whole uh, uh, transition of, or mindset shift of thinking, in order for me to go out and buy income, passive income producing properties, I need to go out and stockpile a bunch of cash. And um, so that's what I ended up doing. I got into wholesaling, got into flipping, got into flipping turnkey houses, uh, started a management company, so then started investing in some small multi and then larger multifamily. And uh, a couple years ago, just realized that majority of my time, uh, or majority of my, my net worth was coming from my apartments, and it was a small fraction of my time. So I ended up just shutting down everything else, burning the ships, doubled da doubling down on my apartments. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I have a total portfolio of 3,207 units as of today, a little over $250 million in, in portfolio value. And um, yeah, man, just uh, still going, right? Wow, that, that's an amazing story. All in a decade, you're a young guy, how old are you, 30? 34, just turned 34. Happy birthday, just turned Thanks, 34, buddy. wow. So let's start just at the beginning of the deal. You're buying apartment buildings. How many units? What's your starting point? Uh, you know, I think that changes as your ambitions change, right? And as your skill set changes and as your abilities change. And for me, I started out I was buying single family or duplexes or quadplexes or eight unit. And eight unit was the first building I bought actually over here on West 130th Street in Brook Park. Um, right here in Cleveland, Ohio. I bought an eight unit building uh, in 2012 
for $30,000. Crazy, wow. right? Uh, but this is, this is like when the market was at its at its mm -hmm. trough, right? And so uh, bought it, put another 50 grand into it. I'm all in for $10,000 a unit, $80,000 total. And it ended up producing around $27,000 a year in net income. And so I'm like, I'm looking at this thing and I'm flipping houses. You know, and, I'm, and every time I flip a house, it takes me three, four, six months to flip it. I make around 30% return on my investment, right? All in after expenses, closing costs and everything. And then when I, and then I took this apartment building and I turned around and I'd flip that and I'd make around the same. The difference is when you add in the rental income that it produced and, and you take out the holding costs that were over here, it ended up being about a 60, 70, 80% return on the on the flipping of rental properties so that's what got me into more flipping of like turnkey houses versus like the retail stuff that you see on hgtv right. and then um and then i just like the scale that apartment buildings offered so um i didn't have access to my own money i didn't have access to private money as much as i do today right and so um i thought i had to keep on stockpiling my own money kept on doing that uh, made some good money and then just realized that um i could i could maneuver and pivot into apartment buildings. And so I ended up doing that and took my acquisition guy and moved him from, you know, uh, only looking at, at houses to flip and started, he started looking at apartments to buy and hold. Took my project manager who was flipping houses and told him to start, you know, renovating apartments. And I took my dispositions guy and had him pivot from selling single family houses to essentially managing the management company. So it was a, it was a small pivot in operations, but a big like leap in mindset for the whole team. And uh, what's pretty crazy is like what happens when you put that out in the universe and you just burn the ships like, yeah. I, like I did and how the universe responds. The next deal that came across our desk was an 11 unit building in Lakewood, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, a little bit more work than what we wanted to do and, and put into it. So we ended up wholesaling it, made $87,000 on that wholesale fee. Wow. So that now gave us the, uh, uh, enough capital to, to cover the bills and cover the operating expenses and the overhead for a few months to continue to look for more apartment buildings. And that's how we got started, man. Well, beyond that, it's just a learning point or just a writer downer. Beyond just the working capital gave you, it gave you a belief. Mm -hmm. Like your belief system had to be so solid at that yeah. point. Like, oh my gosh, why am I even horsing around with these smaller yeah. deals now? And I, and I already owned a few, like, I don't know, probably a couple hundred units. Um, by that time, by the time we really started um, getting into this. And like for me, so I, I understood it, but I never got into like bigger stuff, right? So like I wanted to go out and buy a 50 unit and then an 80 unit, a 100 unit, instead of buying all the all the small ones. The small ones gave me the, the insight, the knowledge that I uh, needed in order to get into the bigger stuff. But um, it, what I found, man, is the, the only thing that will limit you is your own mindset, right? Absolutely. Like, like you are yeah. the only person who can limit your own greatness. And for me, I was like, why am I? Why do I have all these like these fears? And like, why don't I just go out and play big, right? Why am I playing small? Let's just go big or go home. And um, uh, it's it's not as complicated as I think a lot of residential investors build it up to be in their head. Yeah. It's actually very simple. There are some nuances to getting into commercial real estate and buying apartment buildings. But at the end of the day, man, it's not as complex as you might think. Right. And when you're saying there's no limits, is there a limit to the size building you're buying or you'll look at anything? I mean, I understand your, your base now, you have so many as a minimum, but maximum, you look at two, 3,000 units at a time. 
Yeah, so our, our minimum now is we're looking for certain efficiencies. And once you get up to about 100 units, you can have you, you can justify having on-site property manager, a couple of maintenance personnel. And so there's certain efficiencies that come in with buying, you know, an 80, 100 unit ballpark and then stuff that's bigger than that. So that's really our minimum. Um, there aren't a lot of buildings that are like there's only a few buildings in the entire country that are thousands of units. Right. Right. Or, or properties. Um, but there's a lot of portfolios and stuff that you can buy of many apartment buildings. So we do buy portfolios. I bought 730 units last year, uh, last summer. I bought 400 units, three buildings. Uh, earlier part of this year, I just closed on three other buildings for a total of another 600 units um, uh, this past month. So there's been, um, I bought in portfolios of properties and can grow it pretty rapidly that, that, that quickly, that much faster. So are you, are these off market deals you're primarily finding? Or are you on LoopNet and you're just taking a deal that they're asking one price and you negotiate it down to where it's palatable? A little bit of both. So uh, here's the thing to understand when you're in commercial real estate. In residential real estate, there's all these, there's all this like red tape and rules and regulations in order to protect the property owner who's not sophisticated, right? So the little old lady who inherited her property after her husband passed away, who never dealt with any of the family finances, there needs to be certain safety nets in place for her so that way a big bad realtor or a big bad real estate investor doesn't take right. advantage of her, right? So when a real estate agent gets the listing, they have to put it on the MLS within 72 hours and all these other things. In commercial real estate, it's assumed that if you're buying commercial real estate, you're buying for investment purposes and you are a sophisticated investor. So you're a big boy, you're a big girl, like whoever that person is, like there's not all the red tape in place to protect them. You're supposed to know what you're doing. So thinking about that from a, an acquisition standpoint, uh, a commercial real estate agent who gets a listing doesn't have to put it on the MLS or on LoopNet within 72 hours. They can leave it in their back pocket and shop it around. How many big investors are there in Cleveland, Ohio? Right. 10 of us, maybe. So they already know who the top 10 buyers in town are. They pick up the phone because they want to earn both sides of the commission, right. right? Path of least resistance, make them the most money. They'll pick up the phone and call it and shop it around. And then what happens is all 10 of those buyers, uh, if anybody says yes, they sell it to them. It never even hits the market. Or if all 10 of them say no, then it does hit the market. And they're trying to get some putts who doesn't know anything about commercial real estate to come in and buy something that the top 10 buyers in town all said no to, right? right. So. There's two paths here. One, you gotta get, to, or a couple paths. Three, three paths, actually. One, get to it before the brokers do. Two, become one of the top buyers in town. Or three, wait for it to, wait for it to hit the market, let it uh, just kind of calm down over the next six months, and then go, go in at a lower price point and kind of take out their knees with the offer, right? So I, I, don't, I don't mean it in that, in that kind of no, disregard but way, but the reality is they're asking a price that doesn't make sense and they're not being uh, um, reasonable in that. So you gotta go in on a number that does make sense. Mm -hmm. And it usually takes you know, six months of non-activity in order for a seller to realize, oh, I must be over asking for this property, right? Absolutely, yeah. So then you can go in at 60 cents on the dollar of what they're asking and, uh, and start negotiating a little bit more. Okay, so now assume that you already have the property under contract. One of the barriers to entry, I'm sure a lot of the folks at home watching is like, well, where do I get the money? It's easy to go buy a house for 35,000 bucks over in Cleveland. I can find 35,000. How are you doing this raising two or $3 million yeah. and without a track record to walk into the bank to get the loan? Can you describe financing one of these? I can speak for how I 
got started, right? I bought an eight unit and then I bought another eight unit and then I sold them both, got a, got a 14 unit and, and some other smaller properties. And I sold that and got into a 23 unit in a better area. Then I sold that and got into a 30 unit. And I just kept on doubling down doing 1031 exchanges and trading up into bigger properties. It takes a long time to do that though. Um, what I didn't even realize was available out there is sponsors, loan sponsors. So just like you can get a co-signer on a single family house in residential, there are people who will sponsor loans who have the net worth, the liquidity, and the track record of owning and managing hundreds, if not thousands of units that will come in and sign on a loan and sponsor the deal for you as an operator. So now, as an operator, you don't need to have the credit that you thought you maybe needed. The, at the same time, that sponsor typically has some access to capital or their own capital, and there's a lot of people who invest in real estate or alternative assets or even traditional stock market that you can show a better return to with apartments or with commercial real estate that would then passively invest just the same way that a lender does on a, on a residential. Difference then is that you're not giving somebody a note and a mortgage like you do in residential right. real estate. Instead, it's typically if you're, if you're pooling money from more than one investor and you've got two people, that you're creating an, a security. It's an SEC regulated security, right? Or it should be. Um, there's a lot of people who don't do it, but it's supposed to be registered every time that you take two people's money and put it into a single deal. When you do that, um, you're creating a syndication and you can essentially pay them a couple different ways. But the way that they're secured is they have typically equity in the deal itself. So you'll create a new entity, like if you're buying 123 Main Street, you create 123 Main Street LLC. And then 123 Main Street LLC will own that. And then, you know, you're the private lender. You would own a percentage of the LLC. I'm the operating partner. I'll own a percentage of the LLC. And it's a way that you can get into commercial real estate deals without using any of your own money and any of your own credit. And the crazy part is that banks expect you to syndicate capital. So they're not expecting you to bring all the money yourself. They're expecting you to go out and raise private money from outside investors. And that's normal and, and commonplace, common practice in commercial real estate. All right, let me reverse and back up a little bit because you and I have been talking technical, although I get it. I'm sure there's a lot of people at home who are like, what the heck are they talking about? Sure. So, okay, even though you are a licensed real estate agent, you do not need to be licensed to be buying commercial properties, clearly, yep. just like residential. I'm not licensed anymore, by the way. Oh, you put it in escrow. Yeah, I threw it away, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I lit it on fire as well. Yeah, oh, you didn't even, and you're a, you're a broker. And you got rid of... No, I wasn't a broker. I was oh, a licensed I you... real estate. I, I, I only had it because I owned a management company. In order to manage properties for other people, I sold my management company. And, okay. And um, you know what? I, I got it for the for the primary reason. I, I kept it because of the management company. I got it because I thought, hey, I'm buying apartment buildings. Might as well make a commission on my own apartment buildings when I buy them, right? And then I realized that commercial real estate agents don't want a cobra. No. <laughs> so, so like, go get paid by the buyer. I was like, well, I am the buyer. Well, pay yourself then. So yeah. now I can still do that if I want to, but. Okay, so no license necessary. When you're talking about 1031 exchange, that is just, uh, for everyone watching at home, it's just, um, you make, let's say, $100,000 on this. Instead of taking the money to put it in your pocket, you can roll it into the next deal and roll into the next deal so you don't have to pay income tax on all of this. Correct. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow, and our mission is to provide the tools and resources that people need to be a successful real estate investor. So as a listener of our podcast, we want to provide you each week with some of the tools you need on your journey. Check out the show notes to get this week's free gift. Happy investing. Now, as far as you said, you had a management company at one time. Are you 
outsourcing management on all these buildings? Is that who your operator, is that what they're handling? Yeah, so um, we sold all the third-party management because I had a turnkey business. Correct. Right, so we're flipping 80 to 100 houses a yeah. year, doing pretty well there, and then realized you know, when we pivoted over to apartments, we don't need to be in the management business anymore. Um, so I sold off all the third-party management to another turnkey provider in town, and but I maintained in-house management of my of all our all of our own properties. So we still manage our own properties here in Cleveland, and I have built out essentially my own management team here. Okay, so we let's go back to also talk about the financing. I know we're bouncing around. I just want to make sure everyone's questions are answered. When you were talking about being a sponsored borrower, basically, and you're going to the bank for your folks. Don't the banks normally want to see everybody that's kind of involved in the transaction, see all their financials, all their credit, not just you, but maybe the other five, six, seven partners? Uh, it's usually anybody with over 20 or 25% equity in the deal, depending on the lender. So anybody with a significant amount of equity in the deal will need to be, probably be on the loan. Um, but if one person can carry the weight of the entire operation, then they'll be looking primarily at that one person. It's okay if there's other people who don't qualify because collectively as a group, uh, that one person can carry a lot of the... Gotcha. qualify for the loan. All right. So awesome. So you're going to the banks. Are you going to local banks for these type of loans? Yeah. So so the way that I find deals and, and is I find wholesale properties. I come from the residential realm. Right. Okay. So you know in residential, what's the what's the equation that you use to go buy properties? You got to be all in for 65% of the after repair value. Right. Commonplace across uh, single family. When I got into commercial and investing in apartment buildings, I realized that a lot of people would go and pay 100% for a building. And I'm like, why would you ever do that? And it just never made sense to me. So what I ended up doing was I just implemented the residential strategy into apartment buildings. So instead of being all into a building that's worth $10 million for 10 million bucks, I'd be all in for 65% of the stabilized value. So I'm all in for six and a half million on something that's worth 10 million. And then instead of selling it, what I do is I turn around and I refinance it. So I'll use an acquisition loan uh, along with private money to, for the $6.5 million to, to buy and renovate the property. Then I go and I, I'll refinance it maybe at a 70% loan to value. So it'll give me $7 million on a $10 million valuation. Mm -hmm. Following me? Use that $7 million to pay off the $6.5 million I'm into it for. Take half a million dollars, put it in my pocket tax-free. All my investors have been paid back. They still maintain some equity and perpetuity in the deal. And at the same time, now we have a cash flowing asset, totally stable, that the tenants who are paying rent every single month cover the operating expenses, pay for the debt service, the mortgage, and put cash flow in our pocket for as long as we own this building. And it's only house money in play, it's only bank money in play, and it's a non-recourse loan on the back end, which means nobody has to personally guarantee it. The, the bank's only recourse against that loan is the property itself. Now, your, your partners, the equity share people, are you sharing any of your cash out refi with them? Yes. Okay. So if, if you got 20% of the deal, I have 40% of the deal, and somebody else has 40% of the deal, we take $500,000, you get 100, I get 200, this person gets 200. Gotcha, very cool. Yeah, so everybody gets paid in everything that we do, and we align it in a way that uh, we all make money with a common goal and a common vision. I don't make a dime. I actually, uh, on a lot of my buildings, I, I pay for my entire team for a year until we hit the refi stage. We don't usually take acquisition fees. We don't take asset management fees. We only get paid when those refinance proceeds come off the table. 
But I think it's fair because that's when the investors get all their money back, right? So now we're both incentivized to get it to the finish line, get them their money back. Then I get a big windfall of cash. And now nobody has any money at risk anymore. And, and, and you know, we hold on to the property and then we can roll into another deal, another deal, another deal. Right. What a great opportunity, though, for someone to cast out a couple hundred thousand bucks and then get it back in 18 months and still maintain ownership right. with having nothing at risk now. That's why it's really easy for us to raise capital. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, it, and, and because we're holding out of the asset, it's very tax advantaged too, right? So um, you're not actually, uh, like we pay a, a, a fixed preferred return, so like a fixed interest rate while the money's invested. And at the same time, that's not taxable income to them like it would be if you had right. interest, interest dividends from a stock, right? You had to pay that at your tax rate uh, this year, because we hold on the property, it's um, that's not a taxable event until we actually sell the property. So it could be ten years down the road that you pay taxes on that, and at that time, it's actually only taxed at long-term capital gains, which is significantly less than what probably your earned income tax bracket is. Right. So well, it's pre- it's pretty it's pretty cool how how we structure that. All right, now that we've scared everyone at home into thinking this is the most complicated business in the world, it's not complicated. No, it's not. Let's break this down. Very very simple here. So you don't pay tax on borrowed money. So when you're refinancing money out, you're not paying taxes Correct. on it. So it's like, it's like a single family right. home. You buy a $100,000 house in Parma, Ohio, and uh, you own it free and clear. You go and put a bank loan on it. The bank gives you $80,000. It's not taxable money. You, right. have to, you have to repay it. It's a loan. The difference is it's not you repaying the loan. It's your tenant right. repaying the loan. So you can take that eighty grand and borrow it at 4.5%. And as active investors, we can go and get better returns than 4.5%. So why wouldn't you take that money off the table using debt in a good way, right? Not, right. not in, a, in an irresponsible way, but in a, in a very responsible way. And then utilizing it to go buy more assets that produce more cash flow. Right. So you're taking this money at 4.5% and going out and making 10.5% with it. So you're making 6% yield spread and you're making your money. So you're making money on money that's not even yours, really. Right. Yeah, and I know it's probably sounding a little complicated to some of the folks at home, but completely get it. They'll catch up. They'll catch you up. Guys, you guys will catch up. Hey, I'd rather speak at this level, right, and and push everybody up to that level than speak down here and let people be bored. Exactly. Right? So one hundred percent agree. And that and that's the great thing is there's always so many players in a deal like this that there's people that are catching you up to speed the entire way. You'll have the attorneys, you'll have the yeah. accountants, you'll have the realtors. Everyone knows. And if you're aligned with all people that don't know, align yourself with a different team. Yep. Yep. I mean, you can pretty much step, take anyone that has a couple bucks in their pocket and bring them into your world, and they're going to get it quick, very quickly. And realize, like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? The the eight (laughs) players is a big deal. You know, like when I got started, I leaned heavily on my commercial mortgage broker, leaned heavily on my attorney. Like, I leaned heavily on the different vendors and contractors and people that were partnered in the project in order to learn all this stuff. But what's cool about it is that, you know, there's millions of dollars of equity in one of these deals. So you can afford to bring on A players and partner up with them because now there's enough juice in the squeeze for everybody. And you, you don't need, you know, one of the things I, I, uh, I talk about in some of my coaching and mentoring stuff is like, you don't need 100% of a grape. I'd rather have a quarter of a watermelon that has this much juice in the squeeze than 100% of a grape that has only this much juice in the squeeze. 100% sounds like a lot, 25% of this is a lot better and gives you more lifestyle too. Because it allows me to go out and do whatever I want, whenever I want to, with knowing that the other, 
know, the rest of the partners are taking care of everything and I don't, all of it doesn't have to fall on my shoulders. Like I remember getting involved in, in real estate early on. It's like, I thought I had to be Superman, right? A lot of people need, I, I need to be Superman or Wonder Woman or like do everything from finding deals to managing the property to collecting rents and overseeing contractors and selling it and all this stuff. You don't have to do all that in commercial real estate because there's so big of deals with so much equity, you can partner up with with quality partners, A players, and focus on what your unique ability is, right? Focus on what you're really, really good at and stay in your lane. You're gonna be happier, you're gonna make more money, you know, and get involved in more deals. Well, I think that really says it all when you talk about the name of your podcast, The Legacy Wealth Show. Mm -hmm. And it truly is legacy wealth. I mean, doing the smaller deals and making 10000 here, 15000 here is not going to put you on the map like it will having 3,000 units mm -hmm. at a time. And I think that's great. And, 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 and here's the reality, dude. If you found yeah. one apartment building that was 100 units, you could change your financial forecast, your financial future forever, your families, right? Um, I, like, like there are so many apartment buildings out there. There are, there's, I think it's, I think it's 860,000 multifamily properties, five units and bigger in the United States, right? 90,000 of those are over 50 units, right? You only need one of those in order to significantly change your, your financial future and your family's financial future forever. So whether you go buy one building or one building a year for the next five years or 10 years, or you buy one building a quarter, like what you want to do is you want to buy something. You want to buy an asset. The way wealth is built is by buying assets and getting other people to pay for them, providing value where somebody else is willing to pay for that asset. Meaning you provide housing, clean, safe, functional housing. Somebody else pays you rent for that, which covers your operating expenses, which covers your loan, right? They're paying for you to buy this thing and puts cash flow in your pocket. You sit on that long enough, the, the principal pay down comes down on the loan amount, the property appreciates over time, and that is how wealth is, and you made cash the entire time too, right? Uh, a cash flow. So that is how real wealth is built by following that strategy. And once you master that once on one property, you can do it again and again and again. It's the same thing over and over again. I'm gonna ask you two questions. Both of them are gonna get a 15 second answer. Okay. <laughs> Question one. What is the best piece of advice that you've been given or that you can give to somebody that's getting started wanting to do commercial real estate? Uh, find a mentor or a mastermind group. Awesome. Plug in immediately, find people who are where you want to be and latch onto them. So you're gonna pay for the education one way or another. You're either gonna pay for it by losing money and losing time or you're gonna pay for it by joining a mastermind group or something like that. So. That's what I would do. I wish I would have done that when I was 22 versus just four years ago. So I said, I wish I had a show like this when I was 22. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so shameless plug, you have a commercial mastermind group. Well, it's, it's I, I have a commercial coaching program. Mm -hmm. And then we, ha we do have a mastermind, but that's by invite only and stuff. But I'm in, I'm in, man, I'm in six masterminds. I run one and I have five others, right? That I'm a part of and I'm a member of. And they all have different uh, values, right? So one might be commercial real estate. One could be, uh, commercial and residential real estate, but maybe more operational base. Another one is more strategy and business thinking. Another one's not even real estate, it's just entrepreneurial related. So um, just figuring out what you really um, need and then and then finding a, a mastermind or a group of entrepreneurs who can help fill that that void for you um, is a big deal, man. And I, and I wish I would have done that earlier on because it made a massive impact in me, my mindset, my, my business. Well, I, I can tell you that, Tim, like if you see someone now, let's say I graduated high school with you, and I see you now, and you look like The Rock does in that one movie. It was yeah, like yeah. just Jack. 
I met you probably seven, eight years ago yeah. on a golf course, and I can tell you what you've developed into because of masterminds who you're surrounding yourself with, the thinking that you have, mm -hmm. you are a different human being. Not that you were bad then, you were a rock star then too, but wow, it definitely, who you surround yourself with really means a lot. Mm -hmm. So my next quick question is, tell me something that you've seen just grenade a deal that's horrible, something that people screw up in trying to, to handle this real estate um, I'd say I'd say due diligence. You know, people get sloppy. They get so excited to take down a property that they don't do all the due diligence. They try to force a deal to happen versus trying to kill a deal. I try to kill every deal that comes across my plate. And if I, if I can't kill it, then I know it's a good deal. Tim, it's been awesome having you on the show. We love having you. You're just a wealth of knowledge. And as always, I always ask my guests, I ask them, being in real estate, what freedoms has it given you? It's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think for being in real estate and specifically owning apartment buildings, big apartment buildings, producing residual income on a monthly basis and passive income. Um, having access to that gives you options, you know? And I realized, I remember I was, I was at a golf tournament uh, a few weeks ago and we were in a scramble and we're all teeing off. And in a scramble, you take the best ball, right? But you have four options to pick from. And I, I, I find that when you have more options, uh, you can do different stuff. And there's also like, like you think about the quality versus quantity element and you think, yeah, I'd rather have quality, but if you have more quantity by second, like just, just by the element of having more quantity, you're gonna have better chances of having better quality too. And so I think um, when, when you have a lot of different options because you have access to capital and because you have uh, apartment buildings and multiple streams of income and revenue sources, it gives you options on where to send your kids to school where you want to live, the vacations you want to take, the impact that you can make in your local community, uh, where you can give back, how you can inspire others, how you can impact other lives. And I think when you have a lot of those options, I think it's, it's, uh, uh, that really helps define success for me. What I think is really great about you, Tim, is your business is the golf scramble. You have four options for that best ball, mm -hmm. and when you knock that ball down the fairway, you're taking your whole team with you. Mm -hmm. And because you're playing in so much money, you're not just changing your life, your wife's life, your kids' lives, but all your investors and everybody that got to tag along and ride on your coattails, they're enjoying the same freedoms that you're enjoying mm -hmm. by just being a part of your team. Yeah, I appreciate it. And that. that's awesome, man, awesome. So thanks again, Tim, for being on the show. You've been watching the Real Estate Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Rob the House Guy. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate. All the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe. And you can get a copy of the transcript in the show notes below. Happy investing.